Shema Yisrael. Welcome to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries with Aaron Budgen. Aaron discovered Jesus is his Messiah while preparing to be a rabbi. He now teaches for several organizations and is the teaching pastor for Living God Ministries. Strongly distinguishing between the Old and New Covenants, Aaron presents the scriptures from a Judaic and historical frame of reference. Join Aaron now as he reveals the reality foreshadowed and the new life we can now experience because of what the Lord Jesus accomplished for us. In the previous program, I was talking about Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, with regards to what does it mean to say that it is I who live, or to say that it is not I who live, but it is Christ who lives in me. And I was emphasizing the participation that our God has with us and that he allows us to have with him, that in a relationship there is mutual participation. Both people in a relationship participate in the relationship. And I ended the previous program by talking about the gospel, that our God allows us to participate in his creation in many different ways. But with regards to salvation and the gospel, he allows us to participate in the gospel, in the building of the kingdom, by going out and telling people about the good news of the Lord Jesus. And when people believe the gospel, then they can be resurrected from the dead through the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. And together, through our sharing the good news with an individual and the living God giving them the Holy Spirit when they believe the truth that is revealed to them, when they respond and they want to receive the free gift of eternal life, then he will give it to them and he will resurrect them from the dead. That there is a mutual participation that takes place between us and our God. This is what I was trying to emphasize in the previous program. Now, when it comes to living our lives in the world, in the context of the flesh, when it comes to living our lives according to the flesh, it's very easy for us to make the assumption that if we do not work, there will be nothing that we will be able to have in return. Because, for the most part, That's what it means to live in the world. For us to say that we live means that we go out and we work. We do things and we benefit from the work that we perform. We receive compensation for the work that we do. If we go and we produce something, then what we produce is what we have. Or if we did that for somebody else, then they will give us a portion of the value of that item that we produced. If we go out into the field and we work the field and we grow food, then we get compensated by receiving the food or a portion of it, and we get to continue our lives with the wealth that we have acquired. We can take that wealth, regardless of what it is or how it is defined. If it's perishable, we better use it pretty soon, though. We can take that wealth and we can use it in our lives in order to build a better life for ourselves. We can take the wood that we harvest from trees and we can build other things with it. We can use it to produce heat. We can use it to cook food. 
We can take the things from the earth and we can make use of those things and create all kinds of new things when it comes to the trees and the plants and the the metals or the minerals that exist in the ground. There are all kinds of things that we can do to participate in this life. But a fundamental principle exists, and that is that if a person does not do any work, then they're not going to be able to enjoy the fruits of their labor If they're going to enjoy anything, it's only going to be those things that somebody else was gracious enough to give them, let them have, or unless they decide to steal it or something, but that definitely is not the way to live. Regardless of that, what I want you to consider is that when a person lives this way, it's very easy for them to make the assumption that this is what the Christian life is going to be like also. It's very easy to make that assumption. People will then become believers. They'll believe in the living God, and they will take what they learned in the world, that if you don't work, you don't eat, and they bring that into their relationship with their God, and they make the assumption that if they do not work for God, if they are not productive for God, well, then he's not going to bless them. He's not going to reveal himself to them. He's not going to participate in their lives, at least not as much as he will in somebody else's life who is a lot more active in doing things for him. These are the kinds of things that people begin to think. They begin to make the assumption, the assumption that this is how God relates to them, that if they do not work, they won't get paid by God. They won't be blessed. But this is not the case. You see, when an individual grows up, When an individual becomes an adult, it is expected that this individual already recognizes the value of the things in this world. The value in the sense that the things that a person has are the capital, the resources that an individual can utilize in order to build a life for themselves or in order to continue the life that they have. When an individual recognizes that the things that are around them are things that they can utilize in order to be productive. And without those things, they probably would not be able to be productive at all because you need tools, you need raw materials, you need basic things in order to do other things. How can you bake a loaf of bread if you don't have any wheat, for example? And fuel for the fire, you need to have these things in order to bake a loaf of bread. When an individual recognizes the value of things and they are able to utilize things like this in order to be responsible for themselves and produce more than what they consume, then they can be considered to be an adult. But unfortunately, what people do is they take this into their faith and they believe that they have to work for God so that he will then give them additional resources to work with in their life so that they can have a better life for themselves. And, you know, in some ways there is some truth to that, but not in the way that people assume. What I mean when I say that there is some truth to that, I believe that when a person is responsible with the things that the Lord does give them, that he certainly will give them more or he will reveal more wisdom or understanding or truth to that individual. I fully recognize that, but that is not what people are believing. What people are believing is that you had better do something for God or he will give you nothing. That's what people are believing. And from a religious point of view... From a religious perspective, this is correct. From a religious point of view, especially if we were to look at the law of Moses, that's the way the Lord established his relationship with Israel. He told them, you obey my commandments. 
you do not do that which is evil, you do those things that are good, and I will bless you in return. You work, and I'll pay you. That was the law. That was the old covenant. And so from a religious point of view, it makes perfect sense. But when an individual becomes an adult and they realize the value of capital, they realize the value of the resources that they can utilize in order to create life, when a person sees that, it is then that an individual can appreciate what God gives them freely, what he gives us without us doing anything, without us earning anything. You see, the relationship that we have with the world is based on you work and you will receive. But our relationship with our God is the exact opposite. It is a relationship of he will give, we receive, and then we take what he gives us and we use that in order to do the works of God. Again, in the world, you work in order to receive the resources But in the Spirit, we receive the resources so that we can go forward and do the work, the work of God, the works of God that He prepares for us to do in advance. The works that He prepares for us to do in advance are not works that He gives us, and then if we do that, then He's going to pay us or compensate us. No, He gives us everything that we need for life and godliness when we are born again, when we are made into a new creation in Christ Jesus, and as adults who recognize our condition and His provision, and we recognize the value of what He has done for us and what He has given to us, it is then that we can finally begin to live our lives in a completely different way. Instead of trying to live our lives to acquire the capital in order to build life, to create life, In the limited ways that we can, we are given all the capital that we have a need for so that we can go forward and be participants in the creation of the new creation in Christ Jesus. He allows us to participate in the work that he is now doing in resurrecting people to life through the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. And so... That's what I wanted to emphasize, is that from a religious point of view, you do works and then you are blessed. But I believe that the gospel reveals to us that he blesses us, and then with what he blesses us, we have what we need in order to go forward and do the works of God, the works that he gives to us. Now, having said all of that, I can now turn to Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, where he says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Now, the distinction between the two different ways of life in context has to do with the religious way of life versus the life of faith and trust. In the religious way of life, you live in the flesh. That's what it is. The religious way of life is a life that is completely based on the flesh, trying to get your flesh under control, to get your flesh to stop sinning and to start being obedient to God. 
That is the life in the flesh. And when you live this life, you have to say, it is I who lives, because you are the one who is responsible to get your flesh under control. If you don't, then he's going to curse you. He's going to punish you. If you do, then he's going to bless you. It is all about you and what you do or what you don't do. That is what it means to live a life without Christ. That is what it means to live a life without Christ living within and through you. Now, I know this will be very offensive to a lot of people because there are many people who really want to believe that God is going to overcome their will in some way so that they won't sin. They want God to relate to them as if he's some kind of a demon, that he would be willing to overpower someone's will, their consciousness, and do things within and through them that are evil. In comparison, they want God to do this, to do things that are good, to alleviate them of any responsibility, to remove them from any active participation in anything at all. That's the attitude that many people have. But I believe that our God wants us to be participants. He wants us to be participants, but not by living in the flesh. And what does it mean to live in the flesh? It means to live according to the law, because the law is all about the flesh. It's all about what your flesh is doing, or what your flesh is not doing. It has nothing to do with your heart. It has nothing to do with your spirit. It has nothing to do with your God or with your relationship with him, outside of the hope and expectation that he's going to deliver something for your great efforts of some kind, some kind of payment for your obedience or blessings for your obedience. But this is not the case. This is the context. He's saying that if you are living according to the flesh, then this means you are living according to the law. So if you are living according to the law, you are living according to the flesh, and Christ is not living in you, you are living, and he, at best, is just simply waiting for you to be finished with this pursuit of self-effort, which, of course, will be finished when you finally recognize that you cannot be obedient to God, no matter how hard you want to try, no matter how sincere you might be, no matter how devoted you might be, it is never going to happen. Now, what enables an individual to be free? What sets a person free from the religious life of living in their flesh? What sets a person free from that? It is forgiveness. That is the only thing that will set an individual free from the law. The law says, obey or die. Okay, Jesus obeyed on his own behalf, and he died on your behalf. He died on your behalf to fulfill the demand of the law so that you are now set free from the law because there is no longer any penalty that will be invoked against you because he has been crucified. And when you trust in his forgiveness, when you rest in his crucifixion, in what he has accomplished for you, then you can say that you have been crucified with Christ. You are dead in Christ. Dead to what? You are dead to the law. You are dead to the flesh. You are dead to the world. I believe that that's what he means when he says, I have been crucified with Christ, so that it is no longer I who live, 
but Christ lives in me. Christ can now live in you because you have been resurrected through the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit so that now he can live in you. But this does not mean that he is now going to overpower your will. This means that he can begin a new way of life, a new way of life that has nothing to do with a life of indulging the flesh in sin or a life of trying to control the flesh Through law, again, the life in Christ or Christ living within and through you has nothing to do with indulging the flesh in sin or trying to get the flesh under control through the law. It has nothing to do with either extreme of living a life without any acknowledgement of the existence of God or the other extreme, which is living a life fully devoted to trying to get the flesh under control in order to stop sinning before your God. This way of life, of Christ living within and through you, has nothing to do with either one. Either one, the success of either one, both of them, is measured in the flesh. It is not measured in the heart, in the spirit. And the success, of course, really means failure. The failure of the flesh Christ living in you is not going to be measured by the success or failure of your flesh. It is only measured by you being allowed to participate in the creation of God, being a new creation in Christ Jesus, where you no longer live according to the law, but you now live according to faith. When he says, and the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. What he's saying is, is that he is continuing to live a life in this flesh, but he's living this life on the basis of the love of God, on the basis of the forgiveness of God. Not on the basis of the law of God, but on the basis of his love, his acceptance, his forgiveness, his mercy. That is what it means to live by faith. It means that you respond to the truth that has been revealed to you concerning the crucifixion, concerning forgiveness, concerning reconciliation. That that is how you live. You do not live your life according to your flesh. You live in the flesh, but you live your life according to the truth that has been revealed that you are forgiven, that you are loved, that you are accepted. According to the law, you will never be forgiven. You will never be loved. You will never be accepted because you will never do it all. But when you are crucified with Christ, when you are dead to the flesh, dead to the world, dead to the law, then and only then can you begin to live in this new way of life that is based on You living with the love and the acceptance and the forgiveness that he has already given to you. What does your life look like then? Your life looks completely different. Completely different. It has nothing to do, no relationship to living a life of indulgence of the flesh. And it has no relationship to living a life of religion to living a life of obedience, repentance, has nothing to do with that at all, has nothing to do with either way. I'm emphasizing this again because there are so many people who believe that the Christian life is found somewhere between absolute obedience to God and the indulgence of the flesh. It's somewhere in there. 
That yes, we still sin, we still indulge our flesh, and yes, sometimes we manage to be obedient to God. So the Christian life must be somewhere in between. But it's not even on the scale. It's nowhere to be found there. It's found completely different. The difference truly is a description of life and death. A description of two things that are completely independent of one another. And this life in Christ that Paul is referring to is so separated from religion that he's got to put this here in order to make it clear that those who were disturbing the Galatians with this philosophy, with this belief that we are to live according to the law of God, according to obedience or repentance, this belief that they are to live that way, he is making it very clear that these are the people who are living in the flesh, that these are the people who are not crucified with Christ, that these are the people who cannot say it is no longer I who live because everything they do screams I who live. Why? How? Because everything they do is all about their repentance and obedience, what they do. Everything that they have in their life experience is defined, if they are sincere enough, everything is defined on the basis of what they do. And so they cannot say, it is not I who live, because everything that they do screams, it is I who lives. When an individual is crucified with Christ and they recognize that the life in Christ has nothing to do with their flesh, all that they have left is their spirit. All that they have left is dependency on what their God has done for them through Christ Jesus. All they have left is to say that it is no longer I who live, but it is Christ who lives within and through me. That's all that will remain. But a person will never be able, ever, be able to embrace this until they let go of the law and they are loved by their God because he gave himself for them. Not because of their commitment to him or their devotion to him, but because of what he did for them. Continuing into verse 21, he said, I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died in vain. If you believe that the law has any place in your life at all, if you believe that, then you have set aside the grace of God. The people who Paul was writing to here were struggling with others coming to them, telling them that the Christian life has something to do with the law, that the law has a place in the Christian life. That repentance and obedience and overcoming sin has something to do with the Christian life. That they had better find some way to get their flesh under control. In order to do that, in order to believe that, in order to pursue that, there's only one way you can accomplish that. And that is to put aside the grace of God. You have to put it aside. Now, I understand that there are some people who believe that the grace of God is what we call upon or what we cling to when we fall short. But that is not the grace of God. The grace of God is not what we turn to when we don't make it, when we sin. There are a lot of people who believe that they can live their lives as holy as they possibly can, as righteously as they possibly can, and somehow Jesus provides grace to make up for the difference. You know, you can maybe be 85% obedient in your Christian life 
that means you only need 15% grace, right? What happens when you become even more obedient? You only need about 5% Jesus? Is that what it means? That's what it means to a lot of people. That's what it means to put aside the grace of God. You put it aside a little bit at a time, a little bit more, a little bit more. And as you mature, a little bit more, because you don't need it anymore. Is that what maturity is? Is that what it means to become a mature believer? Is that what it means to grow in your relationship with Christ Jesus? That the more that you grow, the less you need of Jesus? That's what it means to a lot of people. And when I say it that way, people get offended. But that's exactly what the majority of people believe in Christianity today. That's exactly what they believe. So yes, they do set aside the grace of God. And for those people, Christ died in vain. His death was in vain. Because they believe that the only value of his death is to make up for the difference for when they fall short. That's what the value is. But that is not what he came to die for. He did not come to die to make up for the difference for when you fall short. He came to die so that you might die to the world and to religion, to yourself, so that you might be crucified with him and be born again into a completely new and different way of life based on righteousness through faith, not righteousness through the law. Because righteousness is not coming through the law. It's not going to come through the law. You will never be right with God. You will never have a relationship with God. What do you expect Him to do with you if you put aside His grace? What do you expect Him to do if you ignore the purpose of His death, the purpose of His crucifixion, if you look at what He did as if it was in vain? What do you expect Him to do from there? What do you think he's going to do in your life? How is he going to intervene? How is he going to participate? There's no room for him. Because you are going to be so preoccupied with yourself and how you live or how you don't live that there's no chance for him to live within and through you. For you to live within and through him. For you to work with him as he works with you. For you to be a participant in what he is doing. And let me tell you something. He's not waiting around. He is going to continue his work. And if you won't participate, then he'll find somebody else. That is the way things are. And I will continue with this in the next broadcast. You've been listening to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries. You can hear all of our programs for free through our radio archive at livinggodministries.net. That is, livinggodministries.net. Do help us develop new radio programs and continue broadcasting on this and other radio stations. Send your contributions to Living God Ministries, P.O. Box 383-53, Colorado Springs, Colorado, 80937 or use the donation link on our website, livinggodministries.net. That is, livinggodministries.net. Thank you, man.